I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Apologies accepted. The, the podcast. podcast. And I'm not Theo. And I'm not Juliet. And um, hey, kittens, to the rest <laughs> of you. Um, we're glad you're back. And this week, uh, well, what's shaking bacon? Let's talk to Theo about bacon. Let's what's talk shaking about shaking. Yeah, week? I'm interested in your bacon, which sounds gross. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's see. Um, my sister got a dog, right? Oh my gosh, a little puppy, very cute. Um, mm-hmm. Her daughter um, found it for her, which makes it sound uh-huh. like it was a rescue, but it wasn't. They went to a breeder, <laughs> so I'm sorry, America, and uh-huh. um, and bought this dog as a, as a surprise. And so the is little it a puppy, doodle? it is not. It is a um, it's a Dachshund, or Aww, as so known cute. in my family, a Wiener dog. Oh, look at that little Wiener, Wiener dog. dog. It's so so it's a mini wiener dog, teeny. Oh, that's so cute! It's my the, God, they're the cutest, cutest things. Fucking thing. And as Holy a puppy, oh, oh my God. God, I'm gonna die. It is. It's just a little tiny dot. It's like a little smiley face. Uh, it just jumps around uh, the room. It's the cutest uh, thing. Uh, so great. Um, so my sister uh, sent me a. She didn't send me. Whatever. She FaceTimed me. I couldn't answer. I was making meatballs. My hands were covered with meat. <laughs> As usual. As usual. Yes, right. <laughs> and so couldn't get that phone call. Sorry. And then um, I was busy making meatballs because that is really what I was doing. And there were like 72,000 of them because I had so oh many God. meatballs. And yeah. Uh, anyway, her puppy was in the ER by the time I got around to checking my phone. And um, they thought it had Parvo. Oh, no. Yeah. She'd had it for a total of um, two days. Ten minutes. Oh yeah. my god. Yep. Oh my god. And so twenty five hundred dollars later, it oh turns out that it wasn't Parvo. Oh no. I mean, oh good, but oh no. <laughs> know, right. How much better if the puppy had died? Because um, <laughs> then you go back to the breeder and you get your money back, right? Yeah. Um so uh no, no. Little little Sir Fig Newton has uh survived. Oh. And uh, and yeah, and then aside from that, I went out and I bought a bunch more plants because I'm determined to grow a grocery store in the backyard now. And oh my so god. I stuck in watermelon, cantaloupe. Oh my god! The largest, viniest growing things. Wow. Like I think watermelons get to like twelve foot long vines. They get big. Just in order to get one watermelon. Yeah. But you know what I can do is I can just like. Cut because this is my thought, right? Yeah. Like do bonsai watermelon, so oh I'll God. just like cut the vine as it grows, I'm not so sure that it works like that way. there's just one watermelon that gets produced. Uh-huh. Same for the cantaloupe, um, and then God help the red bell pepper that I also randomly threw into the yard. <laughs> 
That sounds fun. It'll be like it, the at the botanical gardens where they had the bonsai. It'll be saw. better than the botanical gardens. <laughs> Not much isn't better than that botanical gardens. <laughs> it was it was fine. I, I don't mean to diss the. It was Austin a fucking parking gardens. lot with a tree. It was fine. It, it, <laughs> it was, it was absolutely weedy. nothing there. <laughs> what are we talking about? Austin has this place they they call a botanical garden, and. It is as boring as every botanical garden I have ever been forced to go to outside of the one in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is truly like fucking Disney World for plants. It was even I was impressed. Um, But yeah, the Austin one delivered everything I expected and less. (laughs) It was a nice walk, though. It was a nice walk. walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget what we were talking about. Bacon, what's up with you? Gardens. Oh yeah, oh bacon. Um, I bought a I, I bought a garment steamer. That's the exciting <laughs> oh, high my point God. of my life. <laughs> I apparently bought one in 2020 and lost it, so I've never <laughs> used it. Um, never even picked it up. Never took it out of the box. I'm sure. Um, probably put it in storage where it probably sits to this day. So uh, of course, the, all, all the number of times I've used it, it means that I need to buy another one. For some reason, <laughs> so uh, I have just ordered a, a garment steamer, which will be delivered today. Very, very exciting. Um, Amazon uh, same day delivery is is a, a big bonus. As I have a I have a um, silk shirt and silk pants that need to be steamed because I, the ironing just doesn't do it for it for it. So hopefully the steaming will work. If not, forget it. I'll throw the steamer away and never buy another steamer again until three years from now. Would you forget all about the steamer that all you bought? This. this, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's it. That's that's all my bacon. I went. Um, I went to the bank. That's very exciting. Um, not really bacon, but um, to part of the HOA. I'm the HOA president for the HOA where I I live, and and we had where to you take are the president. The, I am the president, and we had to take the people off the account. So I mean, that's really all I've done this week, and that's stretching it. So. Um, so that's it. That's it for me. That's all the exciting bacon I have. Um, so what are we talking about this week? Uh, the podcast. Well, um, it's sort of deja vu. We're talking about yeah. how the American government um, just can't quit experimenting with syphilis. So in other news about American government atrocities, between 1946 and 1948, experiments were performed on over 5,000 unknowing people in Guatemala, infecting at least 1,300 with syphilis in an attempt to determine whether penicillin could prevent or cure the disease. Many of these Guatemalans who were from, of course, impoverished groups, including sex workers, orphans, and prisoners, remained untreated as of 2013. So we think about half of the people, of the 1,300 people that were infected with syphilis, um, are still untreated. And as uh, Theo alluded to, if this all sounds familiar, it's because the experiments were led by John Cutler, who also participated in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, which we discussed in an early epi- earlier episode of this podcast. In that experiment, about 400 black men in the American South who had syphilis already went untreated in a study on the effects of syphilis. In that study, penicillin was actively withheld from all the subjects. And the reason syphilis is such a popular topic of study is that STDs had become a particular problem during World War II, when it was estimated that venereal diseases would affect 350,000 soldiers. You were looking like you were about to say something. No, I'm smiling. Um, yeah, you're smiling. Which is awful because we're talking at the about syphilis. No, I'm smiling because that was going to be my one of my big data points later. And dang, oh, I see. Oh well, so much syphilis yeah, so, out there. 
350,000 soldiers would equal eliminating two armed divisions for an entire year, and the cost of these losses, which would amount to about $34 million at the time, which today would be about $700 million, which is quite a lot of money. So that made research for STD treatments particularly urgent. And you'll notice that it's not because people are suffering and potentially dying of syphilis that's the reason they want to treat syphilis. It's because there's money involved. And, you know, that's kind of familiar today. Oh, oh very, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, earlier, before all these syphilis uh, studies, um, rabbits were used to test treatments for syphilis, but the U.S. Surgeon General and others were trying to push for ways to test in humans, and what became the Guatemala study started in 1943 with tests in a Terre Haute, Indiana prison. The experiments were then moved to Guatemala because the government there was willing to cooperate in exchange for medical aid, which it badly needed, and the government would not have been permitted to do it in the U.S., allegedly. Um, because of the before the rise of a brief period of populism in the 1940s, the ruling classes in Guatemala, now this may sound familiar, remained indifferent to the basic concerns of their own people and mainly adopted policies which served the interests of companies based in the U.S. The American-owned United Fruit Company controlled much of Guatemala, making these experiments easier for America to perform. And while the Guatemalan government did cooperate, not all details of the experiments were revealed to them, so they have some, um, what's the term, um, Oh, man, I forget the phrase. Oh, uh, plausible deniability. Thank you, yes. it was That just rolled right off of my tongue. I'm impressed. Yes, it was the early days of penicillin, and the U.S. wanted to know whether penicillin could be used to prevent and cure early syphilis infection, whether better blood tests for the disease could be established, what dosages of penicillin actually cured infection, and to understand the process of reinfection after cures. So what they did was in Guatemala, um, U.S. officials intentionally infected victims with bacteria that caused STDs without informed consent. One of the ways the patients were infected was through visits with infectious sex workers who had been intentionally infected. These visits with sex workers were paid for by the U.S. government. So they would send prostitutes with syphilis into the prisons and say, hey, go for it and infect the, the men there, presumably, with uh, syphilis. So it was both men and women, though, who were, who were um, affected because the, the women sex workers were, were uh, also unknowingly infected. Um, uh, the, how they would do it was they would inject strains of syphilis into patient's spinal fluid or um, sort of wear away the skin to make infection easier. How do people live with themselves? How do you inject somebody with syphilis? I mean, I'm sure, I've just got to guess that the person didn't know that that's what they were doing when they Mm-mm. administered whatever it was they were putting into spinal fluid. But somebody somewhere did know what was going on and oh, still yeah. went home every night and had dinner and watched TV and thought, I'm so bored today, and then went to bed. And thought, probably I'm doing something something useful or something um you know, I'm I'm st- I'm studying syphilis, so I'm doing a good thing for people, which is just the the biggest uh, denial I could think of. Uh, um, greater yeah. good, greater good. Right. Again, uh, about 1,300 people were infected with syphilis in the study, and about half of them remain untreated. To date, the U.S. has failed to provide all the victims with treatment or any victims with compensation. 
In addition, the U.S. covered up and did not publish or disclose the experiments, including the intentional infections and their failure to provide treatment. These experiments were um, were di discovered, I guess, when the woman who was studying, um, what's his name, John Cutler, who participated in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, was doing some more research on stuff he did and, and turned this, this up. So it's not like the U.S. came clean and said, oh, we did this bad thing, we want to make it better. Somebody else found out about it and published it. And um, these experiments and experiments like them have had an understandable lasting impact on black Americans who often remain mistrustful of vaccines and medical treatment. So you hear a lot of, um, of uh, black Americans who don't want to get the COVID vaccine because they don't trust that the, the government is, is doing what they say they're going to do, which based on our history, the history that we've talked about in previous podcasts is, is completely understandable. I wouldn't. Um, I, yeah, no way would I trust. <laughs> no way. You can't. Yeah. We won't even start. We'll just say you can't even drive your car if you're black and not get right. harassed by a cop. Uh, you can't and, walk down the street without getting shot. Right. So basically. why would you willingly rush to, uh, to the government? Yeah, exactly. I'm. I totally get that. Absolutely. And the Guatemalan government is still pissed off about this, even though they kind of were in the know. Um, they issued a report stating that the experiments were a crime against humanity and that racism and discrimination were present throughout the experiments in an explicit and conscious way, which is obviously true because people wanted to, um, the government, the U.S. government wanted to experiment on uh, Guatemalans rather than Americans. And to add insult to injury, the U.S. later helped overthrow Guatemala's elected government and back the brutal dictatorships that replaced it in an attempt to avoid any popular movements from being influenced by the USSR or Cuba. So we really uh, fucked over Guatemala in a number of ways. Uh, yeah. And we're still fucking people over. Um, experiments without informed consent are probably still happening. The most recent examples I was able to find were, first, from... 2000 to 2010, artificial blood was transfused into research subjects across the United States without their consent by Northfield Labs. Later studies showed that the artificial blood caused a significant increase in the risk of heart attacks and death. And in August 2010, the U.S. weapons manufacturer Raytheon, who's never done anything bad, announced that it had partnered with a jail in Castaic, California, which is not too far from where I live. It's a ways, but not that far. It's near, near to L.A., actually. Um, they partnered with the jail there to use prisoners as test subjects for its active denial system that, quote, fires an invisible heat beam capable of causing unbearable pain, unquote. This device, dubbed the pain ray by its critics, was rejected for use in Iraq. The government said... With memories of the Abu Ghraib prison scandal still fresh, the Pentagon is reluctant to give troops a space-age device that could be misconstrued as a torture machine. We just want to make sure that all the conditions are right, so that when it is able to be deployed, the system performs as predicted, that there isn't any negative fallout. So really, it's just a matter of timing. I... Uh, <laughs> what can you say? I... I can't think of a single fucking thing to say, and I always have something to say. Or <laughs> I'll rephrase that. I can't think of anything to say that is profound. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Did you know about this pain, Ray? Had you heard the story before? No. No. Well, it just happened like uh, 13 years ago. Um, so I, I wasn't able to find anything about how the sub, the study went or anything like that. I'm sure I'm sure there's information out there. I just didn't look hard enough. But I'm kind of curious as to how that because I haven't heard about it. So I remember hearing about it around the time or earlier, but I don't remember hearing how recently how that study is going or how that the pain ray is being used. 
I'm surprised that they're managing to refrain from using it, or maybe they're not. But you know that they're driving around in a white van, like <laughs> just randomly. Put the pain ray out the window. Exactly. In in Castaic or in some town, small town in California, and then people are people are reporting. Oh my God! You know, this somebody pointed this thing at me, and it really really hurt. Like, yeah, you're crazy. Right. You're crazy, lady. So yeah, so that's what I've got today. Um, I hear you have some history for us. I do have some history for us. Um, Yay! I I was like syphilis. Who can we blame for it? And um, it turns out that is not such an easy question to answer. Uh oh. Yes. Um, so let's look quickly at like syphilis, the disease. How does it manifest? What is it? Right. So it's a bacteria, and it's in a, it's got kind of a spiral shape to it. Mm-hmm. Why is that relevant or important? It's not. I just. Learned that little piece. Um, okay, so the first stage of the disease, primary syphilis, uh, begins with the appearance of a painless sore, or, and I hate this word, chanker, at the site of infection, usually around the genitals, anus, or mouth. Uh, this stage typically lasts three to six weeks. So, okay, cool. Then, secondary syphilis. If left untreated, syphilis progresses to the secondary stage, which is a rash all over your body, um, often on the palms and hands of the feet, and you experience flu-like symptoms such as fever and sore throat. This stage can last for several weeks to several months. Latent syphilis. um, So after secondary syphilis, the the bacteria just kind of like settles down in your body and it can infect various organs, different organs um, in your body. And so um, you get, you get a couple of years and it can be anywhere from like two to five to 50. It, it, It can, it can be decades where, Oh, okay. I've got a, I've got a painless sore on my genitalia, uh-huh. and then um, oh, I had this terrible rash all over my body, and it hurt, and it wasn't fun, but it went away, and yippee! And then fifty years later, boom, you can wow. have um, the third stage, which is called thirdary. No, it's not. It's called tertiary syphilis. <laughs> In some cases, syphilis can progress to the tertiary stage, which can occur several years after the initial infection. The stage is characterized by damage to the heart, blood vessels, brain, and nervous system. Systems include blindness, paralysis, dementia, and even death. So what's, um, I'll say, important to note about the bacterium is it's small enough that it can cross the blood-brain barrier, and few things can and that's on purpose because um, your brain is the nerve center of you. And so your body really needs to keep stuff out of your brain. And some things can get in, uh, some chemicals such as like THC and marijuana and cannabis, alcohol. Um, and and that's why uh, people experience the, the effects of drugs. It's because the the molecules can cross that blood-brain barrier. Most things can't, right? 
but uh, but syphilis can. There's been a longstanding belief that there's a connection between genius and syphilis, um, and so we look at uh, prominent historical um, figures such as Vincent van Gogh, Friedrich Nietzsche, um, Oscar Wilde, and these are all known to have syphilis. Shout out to my friend who also has syphilis. Um, <laughs> That in the biz is what we call hot goss. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. um, However, while it's true that syphilis does affect the brain and nervous system, leading to symptoms such as mental confusion, dementia, in late stages, there is no evidence to suggest that the infection itself enhances creative abilities. And this just tags or tracks along with that argument that, like, geniuses are mentally unstable or mental um i don't know what word to use here but like uh-huh. craziness equals creativity to uh-huh. Uh-huh. to use some vulgar street terms there um you had you had stolen my thunder around world war one which is um there were three hundred and fifty thousand american troops that were impacted by syphilis and We'll just say that syphilis today is not really a thing anymore. It's still really? there. It's out yeah. there. People are catching it. But thanks to the invention of, um, it wasn't the invention, the discovery of penicillin, uh-huh. um, penicillin is the one thing that absolutely just stops Knocks syphilis it and its tracks, right? Cool. And terrific. Um, I am allergic to penicillin, so oh, I was worried. You better not get syphilis. Well, th- I have a lifetime of dodging it. Thank you. <laughs> so penicillin is so effective and remains still the only thing that treats syphilis that if some people who are allergic to penicillin contract syphilis, cough, yeah. cough, what yeah. they do is they desensitize you over time to your to allergy, penicillin? so you get you get minor minor you get micro penicillin wow. shots, and they That's build up your resistance because there is no fucking other way to get rid of I it. I didn't know that. Other than penicillin, yep. And so, um, yeah, okay. So um, let's see. As you mentioned, there was a huge uh, financial impact to syphilis on the military. Um, thank you to penicillin for, for knocking it out. Um, syphilis was, it's so highly contagious and so easily transmittable that, that it's just woven into the fabric of society in the 16th and 17th centuries in Europe, um, courtware changed due to the spread of syphilis. Wow. And so the lesions that would appear on the arms and legs were covered with uh, fabric. And oh then gosh. the treatment at the time and, and up until the discovery of penicillin's effectiveness on um, syphilis was arsenic and mercury. And mercury oh. is a heavy metal, which wow. if you take too much of it, it's going to cause baldness. And then guess what happens? You wear a wig. And so that whole like courtly wig wearing the crazy high tall ones the powdered white wigs and all that we can thank syphilis and i believe it was a french king but i forget which one who started the trend of wigs and that's because he had syphilis interesting 
people who are um, Gen X and older will remember you used to have to get a blood test when you were going to get married. Did you? Oh, yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. I guess you're right. Yep. Um, in order to qualify for a marriage license, nice people got blood tests. I think some <laughs> dirty people just went to court and got married. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. Well, there you go, right? But also, that was post-penicillin. So our right. parents slash grandparents would have blood had the blood test. And I had always understood that the blood test was used to determine degrees of relation. So are you uh-huh. marrying your cousin? Right? right. Because we need to be aware... Yeah, sure. No. It's syphilis. It was a syphilis. Wow. Yep. They were checking for STDs or STIs. Yeah. And um, because nice women didn't know about syphilis and husbands uh, who tested positive <laughs> or husbands who were infected or boyfriends who were or fiancés who were infected who had yeah. come back from the war might not be telling the nice girl back home, oh, I picked not. up a nasty woman disease over in Europe. And so... This was done to um, track the spread of the disease. I don't know what they did if if somebody tested positive. Like, I'm sure they probably told the woman, and then it was her choice whether or not to continue well, with the marriage. What a mess! Yeah, I mean, um, I'll leave that one. I didn't. I didn't bother to air quotes around investigate investigate all of that. <laughs> I'm just here to bring the news. So. <laughs> So like that's that's syphilis ish, but then where does it come from? And it turns out there is some irony to our story around America, the U.S. European descendants largely mm-hmm. experimenting on people in the Americas, Native Indigenous people, um, with syphilis because in in his in history, sure, um, in academia. There is a divide between where did syphilis come from, and that divide is called Colombian-Pre-Columbian. If you are a Colombian, you believe that, and you know, that syphilis came from the Americas, and it was brought by Christopher Columbus and his crew Mm -hmm. back to Italy when they came back from Mm -hmm. the, I was going to say the U.S. They didn't come back from the U.S. They came back (laughs) from the New World, and they were like, hey, everybody, we found these plants and we found these people and um, we gave them a bunch of our diseases and yeah. they died like rabbits. It's crazy. Um, and then, oh, they gave us a present. It's called syphilis. Here you go. Huh. And uh, so what happened was Columbus came back in 1493. In 1494, the king of Naples decided that like he wasn't going to send any more money to the Pope. He was just kind of done with that whole Pope stuff. He was still Christian and Catholic and all the things, but like, hey, Pope, you've got enough money. I'm not sending you any tribute. And the Pope was like, oh, yes, you are. And he called, he didn't call. He picked up his medieval telephone and he called all the other kings around Europe. And he was like, hey, guys, this bitch isn't giving me my money. And they were like, what? We're going to go beat him up for you. And so mm. armies of Europe massed in, massed? Sure. Yeah. They massed. Uh, in Italy and to fight a war. Um, But then the, the King of Naples was like, Oh God, you know what? All right, fine. If you're going to make that big a deal out of it. And so the war was short lived, but in 1495, we have 
the first documented case of what we know for sure is syphilis. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So Joseph, this is a great name. I just love Grunpeck. Hi, I'm Mr. <laughs> Grunpeck. It's very nice to meet you. So Joseph Grunpeck, 1495, is a young scholar, and he cataloged the effects of a new disease that uh, he witnessed in army in soldiers from Spain. And what he um, writes is, in recent times, I've seen a disease that's so cruelly distressing, so appalling, that until now, nothing so horrifying, nothing so terrible, nothing so disgusting has ever been known on this earth. Wow. Yep. Wow. And uh, that is even after uh, the bubonic plague, right? Wow. So the great death. That's uh, pretty big. Black. Yep. That's, uh, that's saying something. Um, yeah. So what he witnessed was soldiers left on the battlefield out in the open um, dying in agony because of the ulceration of their male organs. And that's how we're able to identify that this was syphilis. Mm. Um, And because... Columbus and his crew were in that area around Naples. It's been theorized that they came back to Europe from America and infected uh, sex workers in brothels with syphilis. And when the soldiers came, what do soldiers do? They go to brothels, right? And so that's how the disease was transmitted from the crew to the soldiers. And because it was... Most of Europe masked in Italy, the disease quickly spread across Europe. So um, it's wow. reported in Germany in 1496, basically two years after the war. And mind you, uh, this is the 1400s. And so the fastest you can travel is the speed of a horse. Um, in Scotland, it appears in 1498. And in Russia, it appears in 1499. Um, one doesn't have to really consider the role that religion played in this spread uh, because it was a known sexually transmitted disease to to be infected with the disease is to have sinned against God because Mm. you're either having Mm -hmm. premarital sex or sex outside Mm -hmm. of marriage. And so the disease was seen as the curse of God correcting the immorality of man. Wow. Um, So... So that's kind of how things were understood until the early 2000s and an excavation or a dig in the town of Hull, H-U-L-L, in England. And so they were going to build a car park or parking lot. And they were like, they being the city government, hey, we're knocking down this building and we know like it's on top of a medieval site. And so because of the laws, hey, archaeologists, come on over and do your dig and hurry up and get your bones out of here so we can put up our parking lot. And and what they discovered uh, to the horror of the landowner who wanted to sell this land for a parking lot was mm-hmm. a monastery that oh. uh, dated... Um, very long time ago. It's one of the first monasteries founded in England. And and I'll say ran, but was in existence until 1593 
um, when it was destroyed uh, during the uh, the Reformation, we'll call it. But it, it, when the, when England broke away from Catholicism, mm-hmm. England also took over the monasteries to get that money. So the government took over the churches, right? Um, anyway, enough about that. So so it was a monastery, and it was super well preserved. Amazingly well nice. preserved. There, like shoe leather, was still on uh, wow. the skeletons, right? So terrific. And then um, they found 240 skeletons, and they labeled them. And skeleton 1216 mm-hmm. turns out to have died in um, they think 1360. So that mm-hmm. would have been 150 years before Columbus came back. Yeah with syphilis and this skeleton is riddled with syphilis it has wow. all of the markers of syphilis is classic syphilis to to use their terms right interesting and how do we know it's syphilis and, and what are those identification markers well they are um pock marks in the bones syphilis wow. scars your bone tissue and these pock marks are pretty fucking deep like you can stick your finger through it um, nearly right um wow. so syphilis uh manifest in skeletal remains as pockmarks um in the head and arm bones thigh bones the extremities that must have hurt and that's the point it hurt because the ulcer on the skin just sort of like i don't know if you in my head, I imagine it as some kind of acid, right? But mm-hmm. it just basically mm-hmm. ate its way through the skin all the mm-hmm. way into the bone. Yep. Ow. And so that would hurt. Then um, there's another sign, which is uh, there's a hole in the palate of your mouth. And so uh, for for those people who don't know what a palate is, if you take your tongue and touch the top of your mouth, that's your palate. And it separates yeah. your nose holes from your mouth hole, right? <laughs> that's what it does. Um, in medical terms, those are known as sinuses. Hi, thank you so much. But so you get this hole that opens up and um, you can only imagine Ouch. not only how much that hurts, but also the smell because it's just not oh going to be pleasant smell at all. Horrible. Right? Yeah. Horrible. It's the bad breath that is horrible, for sure. <laughs> How That's dare you, part. you diseased person? Um, so anyway, it turns out that this monastery um, what was run or was the monastery of a very religious um, group of friars. They were the Augustinian friars. And they took a vow of poverty that they took quite seriously, so they begged for food. Um, and they took in the sick and they were basically the social services of the time for that area. And so how did a man with syphilis 150 years before Christopher Columbus came back and before the war in Italy that spread syphilis all around the world, how did this guy have syphilis? Well, now we meet the pre-Columbians. And so the pre-Columbians are a group of academians who believe that syphilis has been present in Europe throughout history Mm. um, and that Europeans died too soon because of things like the Black Death, which was not 
uh, present in the Americas, uh. right? And so syphilis can take 10, 30, up to 50 years to yeah. manifest after the secondary phase. And yeah. so the thinking is people had syphilis, uh, just kind of wasn't really commented on because they died before we got to the third and terminal stage, right? Right. And so, okay, sure, that sounds reasonable, but also feels a little far-fetched because you mean like nobody in the history of ever had syphilis and got to the third stage. They were all struck down by the plague or run over by a donkey because, you know, life in the Middle Ages was hard. Um, who who can say? Well, the, the pre-Columbian academians say this is the case. This is how things were. Um, and so great. Then with the discovery of the whole skeleton, some historians slash some academians said, well, you know what? We were never really looking for signs of syphilis in bones in the old world, Europe, because we all know that Columbus brought the disease over in 1492. And so why would you look for syphilis at all? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe we need to look harder. And mm -hmm. so um I don't know the site in Greece, but an archaeologist was excavating a Greek town that was 2,000 years old, and guess what he tripped over? He tripped over some signs of syphilis. Oh my what were these signs of syphilis, and how could they have been, um, and, and how potentially could they have been overlooked? So the signs of syphilis came from children, and syphilis is um, a disease that pregnant yeah. women do pass on. It's not even can or might. They do yeah. pass on to their children because, as I mentioned, the the bacterium is small enough to cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, it has a field day through the placenta because, wow. like, that's not as tightly woven as the blood-brain barrier. Um, right. Nature hates babies. So, because <laughs> you know, good things get through the placenta. Um, but... All right, great. And so when a child is infected with syphilis, there's a distinct, I'm pointing at my teeth like America can, sorry, world, I know there's more than just America, I apologize. But <laughs> um, there's a groove that appears in the teeth and it's a horizontal groove. It's a very distinct looking um, depression, if you will. Mm -hmm. So um when a child is born with syphilis, they get this groove, not in all their teeth, just in one or two of the of their front teeth. Um, and so they found three skeletons dating back 2,000 years that had these distinctive syphilitic sure, markers. Um, and so feels kind of settled, but huh... What about our friend Pompeii? Because we have a site which right. has been um, documented as a pleasure dome, pleasure <laughs> palace, a pleasureanium. I don't know. It was a it was a seaside town that was for very wealthy people and had a lot of sex workers that lived there. Yeah, um, and so. Uh, yes, the uh, the teeth groove, if you will, has even been found in oh. um, 
Oh my god! Okay. I just said the name of. The, thank you. Yeah, okay, I was. Yeah. I was like Plinanium. No, Herculaneum <laughs> is the other Herculaneum. town I'm thinking of. Thank you yeah. so much. Yes. Um, and so, huh? Interesting. Okay, so I'm on board with the pre-Columbians. I think they have proven their case. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a biologist enters into this mix, right? Because uh, you have to. Biologists just can't keep their traps shut. <laughs> And so the biologist has looked at the bacterium that causes syphilis and has looked at the populations in the Americas and the old world. And the biologist has said, huh, okay, you know what? If we look at the environment in which both populations lived, Europe is cold. Um, Also, the culture in Europe is People wear clothing because of the cold, but also mm-hmm. there's not a lot of skin-to-skin contact um, mm. because culturally in Christianity, there is, you know, there are prohibitions against too much skin-to-skin contact, mm-hmm. but not so in the warmer, wetter climate of the Americas, where people um, have a lot of, had a lot more skin-to-skin contact. So the thinking is that in the Americas, there was a less virulent version of syphilis Mm -hmm. that was transmitted skin to skin Mm -hmm. and because of the warm um, wet air was able to survive transmission open transmission from skin to skin more easily than in europe so in europe the disease had to become we'll use the word venereal in order to survive whereas in the americas it didn't and so the thinking is that the American population did not die of syphilis and never got the tertiary or third uh, phase of the disease because the disease was able to survive as sort of a skin condition. And people were inoculated against the venereal condition. The disease never had to go to the venereal route. Mm-hmm. I almost said root. That would have been sexy. Um, <laughs> to, to transmit. So... Okay, maybe. Um, apparently, a lot of Americans, a lot of the American population, a lot of those remains do um, show third phase syphilis. So it's not that it was unheard of and impossible. It just wasn't as common. Um, so interesting arguments. Um, the The thinking for pre-Columbians is... Okay, you you Colombians are being racist. What you're saying is that the dirty American natives gave huh. the nice Europeans this nasty sex disease, and that's why. Uh, that's how, that's how I should happened. say. Yeah, that's how it happened. Um, but we know that it's been here forever. It's just Europeans had tough lives and died before we could have. A huge amount of evidence. Again, it feels like the pre-Columbians have proven their case. I think so. Yeah, and I'll say that's that's the story of syphilis, racism, war, uh, <laughs> biology, and my favorite fights in academia. I love it. Every field has their thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> cough, cough. In my field, it's <laughs> uh, it's the Shakespeareans versus the well, it's the anti-Oxford versus the Oxford. Oh my God, I can't think of the word now. I know uh, in your field, 
it's Freudians versus non-Freudians, mm-hmm. right? Um, oh, there's some of that, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, everybody's got their thing. Um, yeah. And so the irony in all of this for me is that the descendants of Europeans are now testing the effects of syphilis on an American, a Native American population, mm-hmm. although they're not Native Americans, but you get my point. Uh, right. I guess the Guatemalans, Guatemalans, sorry, um, could be descended from from Spaniards. Huh. All right. I have to rethink that. <laughs> I don't know if they were indigenous people uh, in the experiments, but there probably were. It's the superpower testing on the unpowerful versus the yes. origin story, which is the unpowerful not testing, but, you know, infecting the powerful. Yes. Anyway, okay. Fascinating. St- uh, as, uh, as just like everything as in history. As always. Yes. Yes. As always. All right. So let's, let us go to our apology. Well, um, in 2010, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and the Secretary of Health and Human Services, whose name was Kathleen Sebelius, apologized for the ethical violations in Guatemala. Um, Obama actually picked up the phone, which we did have phones when Obama was president, and called Guatemalan President Alvaro Colom to apologize in person. And a public statement was issued. In the call, according to the government website, Obama, quote, expressed his deep regret regarding the study conducted by the U.S. Public Health Service in the 1940s on sexually transmitted disease inoculation and extended an apology to all those affected. The president reaffirmed the United States' unwavering commitment to ensure that all human medical studies conducted today meet exacting U.S. and international legal and ethical standards. He also underscored the United States' deep respect for the people of Guatemala and the importance of our bilateral relationship. So that was his call to the president of Guatemala. Um, I don't have the exact um, transcript, but that's close enough, I think. Uh, And and in the public statement, Hillary Clinton and Kathleen Sebelius said, the sexually transmitted disease inoculation study conducted from 1946 to 1948 in Guatemala was clearly unethical. Although these events occurred more than 64 years ago, we are outraged that such reprehensible research could have occurred under the guise of public health. As if they don't do it today. Anyway, uh, we deeply regret that it happened, and we apologize to all the individuals who were affected by such abhorrent research practices. The conduct exhibited during the study does not represent the values of the U.S. or our commitment to human dignity and great respect for the people of Guatemala. No, not at all. It doesn't. No, it doesn't represent that. No, not at all. Not 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 even close. We're such a great country today. We did terrible things in the past, but. Uh, we would never do such a thing now, and we apologize for it ever occurring in the past. Our grandparents were dicks. Nearly unthinkable today, yes. Um, so was there an expression of regret? Yes. Was there an explanation of what went wrong? No. Um, acknowledgement of responsibility? Yeah, okay. Declaration of repentance? Sure. An offer of repair? No, they notably did not say, we are going to give you money or we are going to do something for you uh, for because of what we did to you. Give him penicillin! Yeah, that would be a good start, right? Um, and was there a request for forgiveness? No. So we give this apology a three. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's a giant two. And I'm sorry, because <laughs> it involves Obama and Hillary. And yeah. so I want it to be perfect. And I don't want to be like, you know, the the democrat who eats his own but you know i'm glad they apologized yes needed to be done but what 
really needed to be done was some form of reparations, right? And the, yeah. yeah, it's money, but it doesn't have to be money. It could be like resources to Guatemala. Hey guys, yeah. sorry about all that syphilis. Here's some oil or, right. you know, right. here's some corn. I don't know. <laughs> what do you need? I know you like yeah. to eat guinea pigs. Here's some guinea pigs. Oh my God, what? <laughs> they eat guinea pigs in Guatemala. They do? They do. Now you're like, I'm glad they have syphilis. <laughs> let I me make sure it's let me make sure it's eating countries. I, I, I had not heard that they eat guinea pigs. I'm, I suppose guinea pigs are as edible as anything else. Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru are all countries which have seen these furry little rodents grace local <laughs> plates for thousands of years. Those from the UK and US are more accustomed to seeing guinea pigs as pets instead of food. Exclamation point. Across South America today, guinea pigs are known to the locals as QE. Um, and that's straight from Google, in case nobody could tell. But it did not list Guatemala, so you were wrong. I was wrong about... Well, <laughs> I, so it's Peru. When you're walking down the streets of Peru... Uh-huh. I've heard. Uh-huh. I have not been to Peru. Oh, my. I'm not sure I want to hear this. You could go to a street vendor, and just like you can get a hot dog on a stick, you get a m- guinea pig on a stick. stick. Wow. Yeah. I would try that, I think. Ah, no. <laughs> I never had guinea pigs. Oh, so I no. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> I worked at a company. Do you remember when I worked at the Danum Corporation? Does yes. that name ring a bell? When yes. I worked at the Danum Corporation, and everybody, hi, side story about me, um, yes. it was it was like a granddaughter company of Mitsubishi, and so we were owned by a Japanese company, and uh-huh. um, our investors were Japanese, and so uh, we spent a lot of our corporate time studying Japanese culture. I fucking love that job. It was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Never did a lick of work for the company, but man, I can tell you about <laughs> the Japanese corporate culture. Anyway, so... Because it was such a fun company, and however we ended up with a rabbit, we ended up with a rabbit in a hutch. We had a rabbit. We had a rabbit that sat in the back of the shop in a hutch. Wow. And we would feed the rabbit, and of course we fed the rabbit, and we'd water the yeah. rabbit, right? And somehow somebody said, oh, guinea pigs and rabbits make great friends. And oh so God. a guinea pig appeared and lived with the rabbit. And so wow. I happen to know that guinea pigs and rabbits can cohabitate quite nicely together. Nice. Don't know how, don't know why, but they were friends. They would like sleep together like puppies. It was totally Aww. cute. And then one day the Japanese investors were in town and I'm, this is not my apology. And there was a big, very important meeting in the boardroom about how we weren't doing any work. And uh-huh. um, somehow I don't think it was me. The rabbit got out of its cage <laughs> And hopped through the office, and I chased it around, and uh, the investors walked out of the meeting room to catch me in a three-piece suit, I will say, uh-huh. running around chasing a rabbit. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't last but a year after that. I bet. And it was all your fault. Um, I, Again, best job ever. <laughs> We spent a day um, making puppets, and we put on a puppet show, and, and then rehearsing a puppet uh, show for somebody's birthday. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> look how happy I am. I'm so Yeah, pl- it sounds yeah, great. It was the best job in the world for somebody in their 20s. Um, wow. Anyway, but as I said, short-lived. Um, what does it have yeah. to do with syphilis? 
None of you had syphilis at the time. Well, uh, nobody had that I know of. And if we did, we were easily cured by penicillin. Um, And so that's why syphilis today is just seen as like, oh, this thing that used to happen to people a long time ago. And it feels as exotic as a leprosy on some level. Right. I heard about it. It's still around, but. Except for. Except for poor. (laughs) Who's in the quadrary stage. That's when the syphilis (laughs) has taken over the entire body and manifested personality. <laughs> that explains a lot. No, I'm in so much trouble. I <laughs> I hear about this. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, so um, I guess that's it for this week. Thank um, you, Theo, for your contributions. Oh, absolutely. And thank you, me, for my contributions. Yes. We'll and for say. Everyone else, stay cool, cucumbers. Don't trip, don't potato trip potato chips. God, dang it. <laughs> well, I'm left with bye bye, don't cry. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. See y'all. All right, everybody. Week. Take care. Bye. bye. to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>